KYW Original Podcasts. Hey, everybody. This is Flashpoint host Cherry Gregg. Thanks so much for downloading the podcast. Would you do me a favor when you're done listening? Would you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast? We need your reviews to take us to the top. Thanks. Now let's get to it. The back to school countdown is on. Are you ready? It's okay to ask for help. Parents roll in the new normal of at-home digital learning. Parents, for the first time, were able to experience what teachers experience. Although your child is home, they're really not home. They're at school. How you can facilitate the right environment. I'm not a teacher, but I do want my kids to feel some kind of normalcy. Hear from Philadelphia school superintendent and experts. We dig in. Then our Patriot Home Care Changemaker is helping those with closing insecurity. Clothing is a way to make people feel better about themselves. The wardrobes, new socially distanced way to provide folks with just the right outfit. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is the first day of school. Philadelphia School District students head back September 2nd for virtual classes this first term. So what's the plan? Today I speak with a district and then I bring in experts to give parents advice on how to manage. First up, Dr. William Height, Superintendent of the Philadelphia School District. Welcome to Flashpoint. Always a pleasure to be with you. School starts on September 2nd. What's the, the plan? The plan is for the first time ever, we have pre-K through 12th graders who attend the school district of Philadelphia will be attending school completely digital. Students would be assigned to their teachers from their home schools. They will be doing lessons with those teachers, both in a directed and a class that is directed by the teacher, as well as activities on their own. This is going to be unlike the spring. So taking attendance, assignments will be graded, Children will have breaks for lunch and for other things. We are distributing textbooks so that all of the time that children are engaged in lessons aren't necessarily in front of a computer, but sometimes it's it's with the book. And we'll be remaining in that posture until November 17th, which is the end of that first quarter. At that time, as long as the science and the recommendations from the health commissioner commissioner indicates that it's safe to do so, we will then transition to what we call a hybrid model. And that's ensuring the social distancing guidelines, which means we can't bring all children back at the same time. We will then have children coming two days a week. One group would come Monday, Tuesday. The next group will come Thursday, Friday. And then we would use Wednesdays to reclean and sanitize and do all of those things. So that's the plan for now. Teachers and educators have have been busy this summer training and working on honing their skills with respect to the technology and making sure that we can deliver something that is a lot more engaging and a lot more inclusive of children actually feeling like they're in a class interacting with their teacher. So you guys have been busy the past few days distributing supplies. Does everybody have what they need? Our students have been out since March 13th. We've only been able to connect with them virtually. Some of this, Sherry, we're not going to know until people show up or not, because we've been trying to have outreach with 
everyone that we know is registered or was registered in all of our schools and in the school district. And for many that we've been able to contact, they have all that they need. They have, people are still here picking up Chromebooks and picking up mobile hotspots. People are still registering their children for kindergarten, for pre-K, but for the children who, the students who are already here, we will not know if what they still need until they come they show up on Wednesday the 2nd, if in fact we have not been in contact. For most of those that we've been in contact with, they do have everything that they need. And they're just <clears throat> worried about how this will go. Many parents for the first time were able to experience what teachers experience back in the spring. We've honed our skills around that. We learned a good bit from the spring and we learned what individuals need to do, what technology platforms they need in order to do those things. We put all of those things in place. This will look a lot more like school than the experience that individuals had in the spring. And for the parents and, and guardians that we've connected with, it feels like they have all that they need. And I must qualify that with, we're encouraging individuals not to buy uniforms now. We're encouraging individuals not to buy school supplies um, that they normally buy and take to the schools. They don't have to do all of those things right now. Um, so in, in some respect, it's, it's less taxing on families than, than before, uh, simply because they don't have to do those things just yet. Yeah, and so kids get what? Uh, they, pick up the, they pick up their packets, what's in there? So they pick up, they pick up the Chromebook, they, they log on using their student ID. If they have never been a student in the school district, they are given an email. That email becomes their student ID. Uh, they pick up a Chromebook, they log in, and then all of their classes are there, right? So you, once they log in, they see a roster, they see their schedule, they see what they will need. Then they can contact the school to, in order to get the textbooks or the instructional materials that are associated with those classes. And schools are arranging pickup times for individuals to do that. We're also gonna have another almost 70 schools that will be food distribution sites. And we children will have to show their ID. And once they show their ID or punch in their ID number, they will receive five breakfast meals and five lunch meals for the week. And so that's what they will have now. Um, There's a backpack giveaway this morning um, that was sponsored by several partners and they had a lot of supplies in there that would just support children being virtual. Wonderful. And so it seems like you guys have been really busy um, getting everything in order. Um, What are you most concerned about? Uh, I'm still concerned that we're not face-to-face with our young people. I'm still concerned about that. And particularly our younger students and their students with vulnerable needs. I am concerned that those young people still don't have a teacher-student physical interaction. And And I'm concerned that children are still, for the most part, isolated. And at those ages, they're not meant to be isolated. That's not how you grow socially and emotionally. And it, and it creates some trauma. So I am concerned about that. I'm concerned about the families that uh, may be challenged with the circumstances associated with everything that has happened since this pandemic. 
if they've lost a job, if they've lost work, if they have not been able to pay their rent, um, if they are in trouble or in, uh, they, they may be at risk of being evicted. Or So I, I worry about that for our families because all of those things influence uh, the child's trauma that they're experiencing, the level of trauma that children are experiencing. So I'm, I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned that uh, while our educators have learned a lot, you also learn as you do this. And so you get better mm -hmm. at it as you do more of it. And so some people are gonna be uneasy at first. Um, so I do, I worry about that. And then I just worry about the level of violence that is happening in our communities right now that are, that's impacting our young people. And Sherry, I've noticed on every child who is either shot, killed, stabbed, or, or is a crime against a student that's enrolled in the school district of Philadelphia, charter district, it doesn't matter. And I must get 10 to 15 of those a day um, in, in terms of, and these, these are not just all children who are killed, thank goodness, but just the, the, the large numbers of of young people who are victims of violence. I'm concerned about that. And then finally, I'm concerned about all of the racial tension that's happening. Uh, as a black man myself, understanding the challenges that I'm having, dealing with uh, the things that I see, and the fact that we're still trying to address a justice system that is inherently unjust to people of, of color. So I'm struggling with that, and I'm struggling at, with how do we as a system create the conditions for us to have those conversations? And how do we as a system do the work to become anti-racist in terms of our policies, our practices, our systems, our structure? And so we developed the equity coalition that is inclusive, inclusive of all individuals who are working in all parts of the school district. And we want to come together to make some recommendations about how do we how do we become an anti-racist uh, organization and how do we build the legacy structures in order to maintain that regardless of who is in this seat. School does provide in some ways for a lot of kids an escape from those circumstances that you mentioned, just being in those buildings. For seven hours yeah. or more a day, children get shelter, they get food, they get their medicine, they're cared for, they're safe. I mean, and we tend to take that for granted until it's taken away. You know, I worry about the young people whose parents are essential workers and have to go back. What's gonna happen with that first grader, second grader, third grader? And, you know, the city has announced some access centers that they will be standing up, thank goodness, starting September 8th. That's on a first come first serve basis. So I encourage individuals to go on the city's website, philo.gov, and check out the access centers um, because they will be centers where individuals can drop off children. They will not be receiving, they're not, there are no teachers there, but children can log on and work with their teacher from that center and be supervised by an adult so that 
it will provide some relief for childcare and other things. That's a beautiful option for, I think, some people who just have to work. You guys have been able to solve the digital divide issue because now people can pick up access to internet. Excited about that. That was something else that the city did. We gave out about 86,000 Chromebooks back in the spring. We probably now distributed another 15,000 or so Chromebooks or replaced some that went into disrepair. So the city actually convened a group of individuals, the school district, charter schools, the independent mission schools, Catholics, Catholic schools, and partners, Comcast, Verizon, T-Mobile, uh, and philanthropy, Linfest, the Neubauer Family Foundation, PSP, uh, and others, William Penn. And they came up with a structure, and that structure is called PHL Connected, and PHL Connected will provide for families that need access to the internet, a code, and then they would use that code, they'd call Comcast with that code, and that code automatically qualifies them to have internet installed at their house. Um, and so it, it doesn't matter if they have unpaid bills, it doesn't matter if they don't have a credit card, it, it doesn't matter. The code actually qualifies them for that. And so we are solving that problem for all of their children. And in the meantime, because that's going to take some time to install those things. In the meantime, we're providing mobile hotspots to those families so that they will have those things available starting day one. And we've distributed some 5,000 mobile hotspots uh, since the spring. I mean, there was a lot of issues from the last time we spoke that you guys were juggling on an emergency basis. And I got to ask you, what are you excited about? I mean, besides the mobile hotspots and solving this problem? Although it's digital, there's always an excitement around the first week of school, first day of school. So I always get excited around this time. I'm also excited that we've been able to solve systemic inequities that have existed for so long. And, and the pandemic created the conditions for us to actually address this issue. And people wanted us immediately to start giving children <clears throat> assignments via technology, but only certain schools had children that had sufficient technology in order to do those assignments. And so it allowed us quickly to address a, a longstanding inequity that existed and that was providing every single child with the technology that they would need in order to access these resources. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited, Sherry, that we have distributed some 5 million meals since the 16th of March, um, and that if families still could rely on the school district uh, for, for those resources. I'm also excited that we have what's called the Philly, the, the Philly Hope Line, and that's the line that individuals can call and have access to counseling, students or, or families. And it's run by the Center for Grieving Children. We want individuals who are traumatized or feeling dis despair to actually call and you can talk with a counselor around those emotions. And so, you know, want people to take advantage of those resources that we have created. So I'm excited that we've been able to do that. Um, and I'm most proud of our workforce and the workforce that has been working hard to train, to use the resources 
that they're going to need in order to teach children in this digital environment. I am proud of the individuals who have been in schools when everyone else was still at home and getting our schools up and ready for whenever we go to a hybrid model. Um, I'm very proud of the men and women who have been doing that work. And so proud of that workforce and proud that they have shown a commitment uh, to improving their skills and, and making sure that our children will be engaged this fall uh, in, in the learning process. Yeah, so I say go back with hope in mind, with an open mind, uh, you know, and, and, and we're gonna all get through this. September 2nd, first day of school, we want people to start the first day by logging in at the time that their first class will begin. We're taking attendance, we're doing grades, and so- And this counts, y'all, this counts. This counts, right. Unlike the spring, this counts. Thank you, Dr. Hyde. Now I wanna bring in some experts. First up is Rochelle Graham, owner of Omega 4 Homeschool, Dr. Robin Cooper, president of CASA, Marvin Dutton of Marvin's Education Services, and finally, school district mom of two, Hania Sharp-Brown. Welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. Thank you so much. Dr. Cooper, gotta ask you, what are the administrators and all the principals up to right now as we gear up for day one? Well, right now they are working both virtually and trying to make it work in buildings as well. They are preparing everything from professional development for faculty members. They're just trying to just get everything just right. Um, as you know, we, we're in an experimental uh, type of a year. So everybody's learning at the same time. The very first day for, for staff members, last Monday, Zoom crashed. Not because of the, the school teachers or anything, just a glitch with Zoom. And not even a, a, a glitch, but maybe just because the system was overwhelmed. So many people are now using Zoom. So these are some of the things that we know um, they're going to come up. And then we have to figure it out as we go along. It's nobody's fault. It's going to take, one of the things I say to administrators is flexibility, flexibility, flexibility. This is a year like no other. The pandemic has required everyone to do things differently. So our principals are actually preparing every, like they're juggling like 15 balls in the air at the same time. You know, getting um, books from um, into the buildings for when children actually return while also trying to plan virtual learning while they're also learning at the same time. So they're working around the clock. Supports are, are limited because everybody is stretched so wide and so thin to, to, to make certain that our children have uh, a quality education despite this COVID-19 yeah. season. Marvin, I gotta go to you. How should parents approach this? Virtual learning is basically gonna be the way for most districts. How should you be setting your, getting your mind right for this unusual, unprecedented school term? Well, now parents are forced to become teachers in a sense. And, and it's almost as if everyone's homeschooling. Parents have to make sure that children have um, some kind of educational space and also a, a routine. You wanna have those set hours for students to study as well as for students to participate. I'm really concerned with like the younger children. The parents really have to be involved with making sure that they're online, making sure that they're participating and actually paying attention and actually learning. I think this is a period in time unlike any other. It really is a task for parents and that's why Marvin's Education Services is here to support parents in any way we can. But there's a difference though Rochelle, between the district learning, which is 
providing some support for parents in virtual learning versus homeschooling, which is what you do. With four kids, yeah. So traditional homeschooling, it doesn't really follow the module of like the brick and mortar school. Before I started to really tap into the traditional homeschooling, the first thing I did was de-school. So de-schooling is basically a process where you have to kind of de-school your mind and de-school the child's mind into getting into a, a position of um, being able to learn a different way now, because now we've learned through a module of what the district has told us to do, but now we have to get into the habit of learning at home through the traditional way. So I de-schooled for about, I would say four to five months. And that was just learning my children and learning everything all over again about them. Because mind you, with traditional going to school, I only knew them for a couple of hours a day. So basically the teachers knew more about them in certain ways that I didn't. So I had to de-school us as a family. And we just, I just got to know them um, a whole different way, knowing their interests and knowing what they're capable of and knowing exactly what they want to learn. Sometimes I had to say, what do you even like? Hania, I got to come to you. Are you ready? You know, I wouldn't use the word ready. Um, we're, we're preparing, you know, I have a second grader and an eighth grader and I am in the process right now of transforming my basement into that learning space to the point that folks made earlier because from March to June, we were kind of all shifting in the dining room and the living room and our bedrooms. And once we found out that, you know, this is, this is gonna potentially be ongoing, I said, I gotta create a space where it feels creative. I'm not a teacher. And so I know parents are becoming teachers in a sense, but that is not my ministry. And I praise and appreciate all of my administrators and teachers. Um, but I do want my kids to feel some kind of normalcy. And if that normalcy means just going into a space where there are positive affirmations on the wall, um, mm -hmm. desks and chairs that look like a classroom setup. Uh, I had, I bought wallpaper that looks like a chalkboard that I can write on. Just little stuff to just make it feel like a learning environment where mm -hmm. they can feel creative. And we talk, like I sit down with my kids and we talk about this is gonna be uh, a challenge and rewarding for all of us as a family. And we have to work together. And like you said, you know, I asked, what do y'all want to do? Mm -hmm. Because I was ambitious when we closed in March and I had a whole schedule and I had charts and we were sticking to the same schedule. And by day three, I was like, so maybe I was a little bit too ambitious <laughs> about this. And I say to parents, like, we have to give ourselves a little bit more great grace than grief mm -hmm. around this, because again, this is not normal. And whatever your situation is, everybody's situation is different. So when we talk about learning spaces, I know every family doesn't have access to create this whole learning space. So, you know, you have to do what's best for your children. And I'm just, we're going to navigate it together as we can. You might have a learning basement. Somebody else might have a learning corner. And I know, uh, Dr. Cooper, the relationship between parent and teacher and parent administrator, it's going to change. What should be the expectation of this relationship at this point? Just flexibility and really, um, you know, counting on the school as a resource because that's what they are. And, and for parents to remember, we are at work. So although your child is home, they're really not home. They're at school, but they're home. Right. That makes sense. So, mm -hmm. you know, call on the school. Don't think because you don't understand or you don't get it. There are resources. You know, find out from your child's teachers. Um, you know, they should have already sent out virtually you know, how to, how to get in touch with departments, with offices, just around anything. So, you know, I, um, I was just on a PD with some principals 
where they were um, creating the corners and like they actually had a workshop that showed you how to use the, to maximize the space in your home. And it's amazing at how you can transform a tiny space into a learning environment for your child. You know, just find out, make certain that you are asking the questions because parents are thinking that they have to be teachers and you don't. You just really have to develop the routines, mm -hmm. put the routines in place for teaching yeah, yeah. her. That's the biggest piece. The parents here, uh, Dr. Cooper, we, they got to educate themselves. This is not, this is learning for all of us, but use yeah. resources because it's almost like parents going to school, teachers going to school, principals go to school, kids going to school. <laughs> Everybody's in school. But I got to ask you, Marvin, I mean, there's parents get nervous. If you know your child is a child who may need extra assistance, what do you do? So our phones are ringing off the hook for tutoring. A, a lot of parents are asking, even if it's not tutors, tutoring, it's that academic support. You know, a lot of parents are overwhelmed right now. And like you said, just having to not be a teacher, but to develop those routines and and we've been getting a lot of calls for, for tutors. It's, it's really been tough on the families and tough on the children. And we've been here to support. Finding a tutor, finding a mentor, finding an advocate, it's okay to ask for help these days. How important is face-to-face? -face? I mean, I know with certain kids, younger kids, if they're online, is it important to have that other person online looking at the really child? Yeah. Set up? Yep. I mean, there's little things like that that parents mm -hmm. should be making sure they pay attention to. Yeah, so in order for the learning to take place, especially with early learners, you have to have that adult who's directing them, who's um, keeping them focused, who is able to di differentiate the instruction, you, especially if you have multiple children in front of the computer screen, they're able to teach on their level. They're able to um, create what I call an IEP, not in, in a sense of special education, but an individualized education plan. And so having that adult there and present is very important. And I know um, teachers are now struggling because it's, it's not one-to-one. -one. You know, sometimes it's one to 10. Sometimes, mm -hmm. most of the time it's one to 30. And so just having those people that's able to, to provide that small group instruction is really, really, really important these days. And so I gotta, Rochelle, you got four kids. You've created your own curriculum with the kids by, mm -hmm. by working with them. How do you keep them focused? And it just kind of give us your daily schedule a little bit so people can kind of imagine some of what they would do to kind of get organized. Absolutely. Um, so we follow a Charlotte Mason kind of education curriculum and I tweaked it so that it fits my um, children. So um, daily schedule, we wake up around um, eight o'clock, 8.30 is breakfast. After breakfast, they do their chores. So in my homeschool curriculum, we put a lot of emphasis on habits and just to cultivate them being able to help out around the house and just to add that into the curriculum, personal development. And then my oldest son, because he's a little older, I gave him a notebook of a planner. And so with him, I'm focusing on goal setting and setting small goals. So he has to be able to look at his planner and be able to plan his day. Even if he wants to go outside and play soccer or basketball, he has to put that in his schedule. That's first and foremost, the chores. And then what we do every day, we have an enrichment activity. So on Mondays we have um, like picture study. We're studying an artist now, his name is Ernie Barnes, who's an artist on like Good Times and all that kind of stuff. And he's did a lot of black paintings. Tuesday is our like musical study. We're studying black composers. Wednesday, we're doing foreign language. We do our math and our science and language arts at the end of the day, um, which is around, I would say, like 11, 11 o'clock. And then that lasts until one. And the reason why it takes, it's not too long with four kids is because I, I keep the schedule kind of short. So like for math, 
only about 20 minutes for like my middle school son and maybe, you know, 15 for like my younger kids. So it just keeps their attention. So we really do like a gentle kind of learning and we cult we're able to cultivate many things into that one day. You know, it's kind of meaningful and it means a lot to, to the children. So and I know Hania's got the look on her face like, it's like a whole <laughs> <Yeah>. situation. <laughs> I'm over here taking notes because the, what you yes. mentioned around the planner for your son, I literally had this conversation with my 13 year old son yesterday. I was like, you need to either use your calendar or I ordered one where it's not just mom taking into accountability what mm -hmm. you have to do throughout the day. Right. I want you to start feeling ownership about what you have to do throughout the day. Absolutely, and yeah. he warmed my heart when we were going through this from March to June. He ran downstairs one morning. He's like, mom, I got a plan on how I'm going to complete my work for the rest of the week. And I could have fell out because he came to me and said he had a plan. And it sounds like to me, though, Ania, when you think about this, do you think this COVID-19 changed the way you view the education of your children? Absolutely. To Rochelle's point earlier, our kids spend most of their time in school with their teachers. Mm -hmm. I definitely make it a point to have a good relationship with my kids' teachers. We email, we text principals. You don't always know all of the little ins and outs and intricacies that you, the teachers are dealing with on a daily basis because you're not there. You're at work. And so I had to take a step back and my children learn differently too. That was the other part. So it's was like, when we're talking about children in different grades and me having to put them both in the room in this space to learn, I have to also remember that they learn very differently. And so I have to set things up differently. I never imagined that this, I would be in this place, but I also had a very good, like education has never been like, it's not an option. And mm -hmm. so my kids understand that very clearly. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's just really how we work through just making it work. It's hard. I mean, like my husband has to play a role too, but he's an essential worker. And mm -hmm. so a lot of the planning comes around, you know, me being home from home and making sure that there is some kind of routine. And like everyone said, that flexibility piece is important. And as a parent, you have to ask questions. Like you said, you know, Robin, because if you don't, you don't know what you don't know. And because we're all in this trying to figure it out all together, you should absolutely be asking questions. And I don't even want to ask all this a little bit because you still haven't even started the virtual part. But in November, they're talking about, you know, switching it up and going back to school a couple of days a week. Dr. Cooper. I yep. mean, are you, are y'all nervous about this? We're nervous. And I, and I think, um, this was the best plan. I, you know, there was some controversy around it. And, and, and I'm sure other, there were other cities and states who, who made the decision prior to Philadelphia. But right after Philadelphia, yeah. you saw other states and cities kind of backtracking and, and, and as opposed to hybrid saying, okay, we think we're going to try vir all virtual. We're going to do all virtual. We're going to do all virtual. I think everybody is more worried about the safety of, you know, and, and just for, I know for, for my, my union, we did not want that responsibility or to be held accountable for a child if the child got sick. Because right. in schools, in large groups, children will play together because they're children. And yeah. so when you, as, as Marvin said, when you are a teacher and you have some, some upward to 30 children, let's even mm -hmm. say 20. Let's say you're a preschool and you know you, you, you have the quotas and, and everybody, the, the, the small groups and so forth. Every part of their day is learning by doing. Mm -hmm. So you are asking for them to be super spreaders. Yeah. Knowing that we did not want to put, put, have that responsibility. So we're, we're hoping by November mm -hmm. that 
we have it more mapped out as, as far as a resources because when you do smaller group you have to put the resources there because you need more people yeah and, and this is going to be an ongoing a conversation about the safety issue and i'm glad that parents will yeah. have a choice when when this happens uh, in november and i, I predict it'll probably get pushed back uh, a little farther than that and I want to kind of go to the for, for the podcast, got to ask you questions because a lot of stuff has sort of shifted and, and been um, exposed uh, during uh, this time. And one of the exposures is the digital divide, which was kind of forced people to give 5,000 hotspots given out. A lot of people going to get free internet now. All the kids got Chromebooks, something. People didn't even have computers in their homes. Do you think something good can come from this? I think it will. I think it should. I mean, I think we all can see that there are issues that we have faced, not just as a city nationally, that have should have been solved before. Yeah. Things that we've been asking for before. And mm -hmm. the, the COVID has only just exacerbated what those issues are. And mm -hmm. so I think my hope is that as a city, as a nation, you know, whether it's from elected officials, whether it's from administrators that the things that we are seeing now continue because how do you how do you offer it and then take it back just because we're no longer in a pandemic? My hope is that the way things are going because people are forced to step up, whether you're a parent, whether you're working, whether you're a teacher, that that con continues because it's what's right anyway. We held a rally just to um, ask, I should say, ask Comcast to kind of step up. And not, you know, when you think of Philadelphia, you, you know, we have a lot of major core. Uh, corporations and it's it's time to step up because when when these corporations were beginning the neighborhood stepped up and bought the product you know when when do we require something back from folks that are in philadelphia make their money off philadelphians and i mean mm -hmm. other people as well not to mention but the tax breaks and, mm -hmm. and don't 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 even take me to the tax breaks but we have to really demand a quality education why do people have to march for you to give zero percent almost that you're going to write off as a not you only have to write it off because you're not paying any taxes technology is here um the world of automation is here um i pretty much i thought that this would occur closer to like 2030 in in terms of um using technology in the classroom and, and using technology in the workplace a lot of our children are are, are I, I think prepared for this you know when the pandemic happened my son was like hey I have FaceTime already. I have the house party app. I'm on Fortnite, I'm playing a game and I, I already visit my friends virtually. We were already transitioning to using um, technology in the classroom, but now this is kind of expediting the process with the educational resources that people are now developing and creating yeah. from reading A to Z, RAS Plus, reading aids. And I, I, I really think that, you know, technology is here to stay. And this could actually be a good thing. And that's why I want to close on a positive note because this is Flashpoint, we do have to wrap this up. This quarter of education counts, beginning Wednesday, right? What will be the telltale sign for you all? It's successful versus it just didn't work. As, as a parent, for me, measuring success in this looked like how my kids' outcome was throughout this, like what their grades were like, and I, I'm, I'm always proud of them. I was super proud of them and getting through this pandemic and still making good grades. I recognize that it wasn't easy. Me, there was a lot of crying going on from, from, from me and my kids because it was just hard. Um, and so for me, that's how I'll continue to measure whether or not 
how we're doing this is working. And it's a partnership, you know, we have to work together. And well, in my household, I have a teenager who's going from the seventh to the eighth grade. I'm just looking for him to become independent. Um, in terms of the education field and with MES, one of the things we do is we staff substitute teachers. One of my main goals since I've started the company was to individualize the educational process and also humanize the educational process. And so just being able to match children up with people that will help to um, satisfy their learning needs. I'm really aiming towards that. A win for me would be increased parent, administrator, yeah. teacher communication. I would say a win would be lessen anxiety just around whether the children are attending because now they're attending virtually. That's the big piece. So are they logged on? Are they logged on for the required amount of time yeah. that they need to be? And then how are they doing with the virtual lessons? So are they learning not only the, the technological pieces, but are they actually showing evidence of learning? So are they meeting those benchmarks? Everything is counted. Man. Everything counts here. Count. Final word, uh, Rochelle. How I know that I'm in the process of you know, educational success is when my children are able to narrate back to me their understanding of what's being taught and narrate back to me in the way they understand it. And um, the win is being able to, you know, the, the cause of that is being able to personalize their learning and also um, seeing a boost in confidence and celebrating those small wins. So we're gonna keep our fingers crossed that all those things happen and that kids learn and that this experiment works. Thank you uh, to Marvin Dutton, Rochelle Graham, Dr. Robin Cooper and Hania Sharp Brown for coming on Flashpoint. Thank you. Next up, they help people dealing with clothing insecurity. You need food, clothing, and shelter. A regional nonprofit's new home and their pivot during the pandemic. We'll be right back. Hey, Flashpoint family. If you like what you hear, why don't you stick around and take a listen to some of our past episodes or our Flashpoint extras. One example is our exclusive interview with the one and only DJ Jazzy Jeff. He contracted COVID-19. He had some dark moments, but he survived. Take a listen to his journey. Another example is our Pat's Newsmaker of the Week, Andrew Wyatt. He's spokesman for actor and comedian Bill Cosby. He explains why they're petitioning the governor to hopefully get the cause out of jail early. All of this and more. Please subscribe to the podcast and rate and review. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to subscribe to the Flashpoint podcast by downloading the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or other platforms. All you have to do is search Flashpoint. Now, we here at KWW, we are all about community and a regional nonprofit that uses clothing to help better the lives of individuals going through challenges is shifting with the times. Here to talk about the wardrobe is our Patriot Home Care Changemaker, Executive Director, Sherry Cole. Welcome to Flashpoint, Sherry. Gotta say, the wardrobe, new name. What happened? Well, you, you switching it up on us, Sherry. I like to think our name is catching up to what we actually do. So 25 years ago, we were started as an organization that provided professional clothing to women to get back to work. And throughout this last 25 years, we keep evolving to meet the needs in our community. So about 10, 15 years ago, we started serving men as well as women. And in the last five years, and especially now during the pandemic, 
we provide more than professional clothes to people. We are here to really, we have evolved as an organization that combats clothing insecurity. So when you think of what people need to live and thrive and be independent, you need food, clothing, and shelter. So when we say we help with clothing insecurity, that can mean giving someone the outfit they need to transition to work, but it can also mean filling their closet with things they don't have because they're coming back into the community after incarceration, after experiencing addiction or violence, or transitioning to permanent housing after they've been homeless. People don't really understand. Clothing can really change your whole mindset and give you a level, a level of confidence that I think many people overlook. Yeah, and I think we see that really clearly when we see someone go from the before picture where they're wearing jeans and t-shirts and the after picture where they're dressed up in a professional business suit and they look really confident and ready to you know, take on the world. One of the things that we're really trying to bring home is clothing is a way to make people feel better about themselves to make people fit in. You know, it is the shortcut to fitting into your peer group, for instance. So if you're a, a young adult who's, you know, starting out um, in college or really in high school, but doesn't have a lot of money because you're low income, coming to the wardrobe and getting, you know, a week's worth of clothing that makes you feel like your peers and fit into your peers is really important. Um, Another thing that I always talk about is folks who are reentering after prison, they leave, and I think a lot of people don't know this, with nothing but what they came in in. Um, so they have one thing to wear when they leave. And if you've been incarcerated for a while, um, that thing probably doesn't fit you well anymore. You know, um, studies have been shown that women tend to gain weight in prison. Men tend to lose weight in prison um, because men tend to work out more in prison than women do. And so imagine having to fit in <laughs> to what you wore two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. So one of the things we can do now with our expanded mission is make sure that every person who's leaving prison is able to leave with a box of clothes that fit them today, two or three outfits, and then wear one of their first stops once they get back into our community. And that's really what we do with clothing. We say we, we use clothing to inspire change. And you also created a new way of dealing with customers during the COVID-19. You know, we closed in March like everybody else. And we went home and we had all of these program staff who are used to outfitting people every day and working in our resale store and on their feet. So we quickly pivoted to online appointments and wardrobe boxes. And this is going to become a permanent thing that we do post-pandemic. Right now, you go online, you make an appointment, you use your phone to talk to one of our online consultants. Um, one of our staff talks to you about your clothing needs. They can see you so they can see, like, show me what's in your closet that you like or you don't like. We can get measurements. And then we personally style a box for them that we mail out to them. And then they have their new outfit for whatever they need. So your, your spring garden location is closing down. Yeah, we've been here at the corner of 19th and Spring Garden for 10 years, but we had really just outgrown this space. So as much as we love it, we're moving to 4th and Spring Garden um, in a beautiful new space. After Labor Day, we will be reopening first to our clients. On September 15th is our grand opening in our new space. We are doing what we call no contact clothing donations, which means 
unfortunately, you have to unload your own car and bring it into us. We are open to the public. Um, so anybody can come in and shop. And we have clothing for both men and women, all genders, all identities, um, all styles, from professional to casual to even dressy. And you have nice stuff. We are very picky. And so we have low prices, high quality, and then our clients and our shoppers are choosing from the same inventory. So the only difference between a client and a shopper is that a client has a referral from a government or nonprofit agency, or they, in in COVID times, have self-identified. So one of the other pivots we made was to immediately say, you know, all of the nonprofit and government partners that we work with are also shutting down, and they're having a difficult time seeing their clients. So if you have lost your job or you have lost hours or income due to COVID, please go to careerwardrobe.org and go to our program services link and make an appointment because we would love to give you a new outfit to make you feel better about yourselves, you know, just boost your confidence and give a little back to our community. We did a survey of our clients early on during the pandemic and nearly 70 of them, 70% of them had lost their job or lost hours significantly due to this crisis. And those who were still working are all frontline workers. We are open for shopping donations and for client services. And we really, really want to see your shining faces. But if you can't come in, we are doing online services and we also have an online store. So if you go to careerwardrobe.org, you can see our inventory online as well. So you can shop and get served through the convenience of your computer. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Sherry Cole, for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry. Appreciate it. Are you disappointed in the timing of your home care paycheck? Or are you being paid at all? Call Patriot Home Care today and know that your paycheck will arrive on time and that you'll be well paid. As a leading home care provider in Pennsylvania, Patriot offers the most comprehensive benefits package in the state. You can qualify for free health care, 401k retirement benefits, paid sick time and vacations, and time and a half pay for holidays. Who doesn't like that, right? So you can call Patriot Home Care today at 877-535-5550. That's 877-535-5550. Again, it's 877-535-5550. Flashpoint is produced by Cherry Gregg and associate producer Ariane Fulcher. Thanks for listening. That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know. And we'll walk you through the flames. As the late Nelson Mandela once said, education is the most powerful weapon you can use to change the world. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.